0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit SojournMontrose.org. Great. Uh, so yeah, just to recap where we've been, right? So again, if you're joining us, we're finishing this, this John series. Um, so last week on Good Friday, right, if you were with us for Good Friday, we talk about Jesus' crucifixion. And then Easter Sunday, we, we talk about Jesus' resurrection, right? And so... Um, this is kind of, John 21 is where Jesus is starting to appear to people. He's, this is his third appearance to the disciples, so words kind of spreading throughout the region, right, that Jesus actually isn't in the tomb, he's actually alive. Um, and this is kind of reverberating around the disciples right now, and they're, they're faced with kind of a choice of how they react. Um, and, and chapter 21 gives us the last account in the, in the Gospel of John of Jesus' appearing. Um, and if we know what we know about John, if, you, if you've got your Bible still open, you can look back to chapter 20. we said it every week, though. Um, chapter 20 says that the purpose of this book, that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is written for us, right? John is written to you specifically. I mean, every time Jesus speaks in John, all the red text, if you've got a Bible like mine, um, every time Jesus speaks, He's speaking to you. When He says, "Follow Me," He's saying, "Follow Me to you." Um, and we can't we can't lose sight of that when we're walk- when we're when we're talking about John. So, um, John twenty one is speaking to us and it's telling us it's telling us something. Um, and I think uh, it. So Clayton read kind of the end section of John, but I think uh, John twenty one. But I think John twenty one is really three big sections. There's a fishing section. Um, there's an eating section, and then there's this, this last section where there's a conversation that Peter and John have. And, and when, I got this te- when I was assigned this text to preach, I was like, my favorite things, fishing, eating, and talking. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about today. So if you're taking notes, you can, you can label your sections accordingly. Um, but all of this takes place in the context of one character other than Jesus, right? So Jesus is the main character of the Bible— uh, he's the main character of John 2, if you didn't know. Um, and the, the side character in John 21 is Peter. We're, we're talking about Peter. So if you don't know Peter's story, let me lay it out for us. Um, Peter is, is not named Peter at birth, right? He's named Simon, and he's a fisherman. So Simon is fishing, and Jesus sees Simon fishing and calls, literally calls him and says, You, fisherman, you will stop fishing for fish, and you will be a fisher of men. So it's a missional call, right? Instead of doing this other work, you now are fishing for men. You are now part of my squad. Uh, so Peter, Peter does that. Um, and in, in the Bible, we have all, a ton of great examples of names changing when, when something significant happens, right? Specifically when God uh, does something to interject himself in these people's lives. So in Genesis, Abram, right? Covenant with God happens, and now he's Abraham. In Acts, Paul is not Paul, he's Saul, encounters Jesus. Jesus literally calls him away from his former life and he becomes Paul. Same happens with Simon. Simon is Simon, fisherman. Now you are Peter the Rock. That's what Peter means, the rock, um, which is alluding to his future as the foundation of the church. Um, so Peter, now, now called Peter, is one of the twelve disciples and has a lot of notable interactions with Jesus. And if if, if John were a movie, right, if John were a movie, Jesus would be the main character, and we would, once we saw that name change scene, once, once one of the characters was named something and their name changed to, from Simon to Peter, we'd probably be like, I should pay attention to that guy. You'd remember it, right? Uh, and that is the case for us here. Um, so, G- so Peter and Jesus have interaction after interaction, and, and one of their most famous, if not this passage we're talking about in chapter 21 One of their most famous interactions is um, the Last Supper, where Peter and Jesus are sitting there, and and this is what happens. Peter asks in John 13, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus answers, where I am going, you can't follow. And, And Peter says, Lord, why not? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you? Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times famous. And if you read on, um, you find that that is true, right? Um, Jesus is, is being arrested by the high priest. And all the while, Peter's kind of following behind, kind of in, following Jesus, but like not really with Jesus. And there's a fire, a charcoal fire. And Peter stands by it and starts you know, warming his hands. And uh, the servant girl asks, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Not, not me. Peter says, no. And then again, the Gospel of John, and you can look at these denials in this passage. It says around another charcoal fire, right? Second mention of a charcoal fire um, that Peter is standing around, the high priest and all the people are, are interrogating Jesus. And what happens? I think you were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure I saw you in the garden last night. Not me. And then the rooster crows, right? It's this huge moment for Peter where, where that rooster crows and his world just kind of shatters in an instant. Um, and remember that charcoal fire because it'll be relevant here in a minute. Um, It's crazy, right? So then all that happens, Jesus is crucified and resurrects, and who is the first disciple to the tomb? Peter, used to be Simon. Here he is again. Um, And so Peter runs to the tomb, sees the linens folded nicely, sees the rock rolled away. Jesus isn't here. And then Jesus appears twice, and Peter is there to witness it all, right? So that's where we sit. That's where chapter 21 comes in. Um, and so let's see what happens. Um, so all of that, Peter's story wells up, and then what happens? After this, Jesus revealed himself again. I'm reading chapter 21, verse 1, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathanael of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Peter says, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So all that just happened, right? Denials, crucifixion, resurrection, Jesus appears. And Peter says, I'm going to go spread the truth. This is amazing. This is the most. No, he says, I'm going to go fishing. Um, that, that blows my mind, right? When I first read this, I was just thinking, how could this be? How do you just go back to fishing? Um, but then the more I simmer in that, right, the more I sit with that, the more I realize that, and the more I believe it, because how true is it? How human is this, right? And then the, the longer I sit in this, the more I realize, oh, wait, th- this is me. I'm Peter. Um, I, I was saved as a 7-year-old um, in North Carolina, right? And I, I believe that I was um, because sin never felt good again. Right, So I believe that my heart changed, but um, I prayed that prayer as a seven-year-old, and since then, I've probably prayed it 100 times or more. And 100 times or more, I've reverted back to old habits, frustration, bitterness, anger, loneliness, denial, doubt. Uh, I've done it. I, I, am, I go back to fishing. Um, This is true. Ask any addict who has backslid um, or has gotten clean, right? And their story will be a story of struggle, backsliding. um, And a lot of those addicts who become believers would say, no, my my regenerated heart, my truly regenerated heart wants to be clean. But when when I'm faced with my failure and doubt and shame, that is a little easier for me. And it's too hard to go that other way. Um, Peter's failure, his denials, and his doubt cause him to say, my old way is better than this. Um, but the funny thing about that verse is at the end of it, it says, and that night they caught nothing, right? So Peter's not even good at fishing anymore. He used to be a fisherman and like, man, I can't even catch fish. And, and that's not just like a jab at John, at Peter, right? Like you didn't even catch anything. Uh, no, it If we think back um, to the first talk about fishing, right, in the gospel, where Peter is called out to be a fisher of men, he has reverted back to that old lifestyle without Jesus, right? Jesus isn't there. It's the evening, and he catches nothing. It's a metaphor, a powerful metaphor for mission. When we try and do the work of evangelism on our own without Christ, the nets come up empty, right? I, I do know what this is like. Um, I, I am a fisherman, um, and by fisherman, I mean I sit in a boat and hold a pole. I rarely catch fish, um, and I fished with Nick and Cole, two parish leaders here, and we went out last Saturday, and we didn't catch anything, and it's not fun, it's not, um, surprise. But, but we say, like, we say things, like, we, we pretend it's more fun than what we could have been doing, like we'll get out and be like, yeah, it beats the day at the office. But it didn't. Like, we got up at 5, and we're wet and cold, and like, yeah, well, beats a day sitting in the office. Yeah, it doesn't. It's just not fun. Um, But this is even worse for Peter, right? This is worse for Peter because Peter is a career fisherman. And he doesn't have one pole. He has a net, like a net, a huge net. And they're over the side of the boat, and just like, this is the one where we get a fish. I I bet this is the net we pull up. Like, it's one fish at least, and nothing, nothing, right? It's... It's sad. It's not fun, but then in verse four, what happens? Day breaks and Jesus is standing on the shore. This is like the Gandalf moment, uh, like I look for me, my coming at the dawn of the fifth day or whatever. In, in Two Towers, where he's just standing there at the at the sunrise, right? This is Jesus is back, but they don't they don't know who it is, right? They can't they can It's hundred yards. They're like, I don't know if that's Jesus or not. There's a dude there and he's shouting at us, um, and Jesus says. Um, did you catch anything? To which they respond with the truth. Luckily, no. We, have, we haven't caught anything. Um, and Jesus says, "Cast on the other side of the boat, and you will catch fish." Not, "Why don't y'all try St. Louis Pass see if you have any luck there?" No, it's, it's do this and it will happen. And and they do it, and it happens, right? The hull the is so big, the net almost breaks. It doesn't, miraculously, but it almost breaks. And then, when they're doing that, the wheels are starting to turn, and they're thinking, you know, the only guy who's ever kind of said something like that at us, from the shore no less, and then it actually came to fruition, that that was Jesus in the past. You know, like when Jesus says he's going to make, feed everybody and there's 5,000 people there, and he does it. Um, now, this this guy is saying this, and it sounds kind of like Jesus, right? And so, Immediately they know. They're like, that is Jesus. Wait, the, the nets are full. That is Jesus. So Peter like throws off the robe, swims 100 yards to the shore, right? And then what happens? Peter is immediately reminded of failure and doubt and denial, right? Read with me in verse nine. They got to land. They saw a charcoal fire in place. Pause. Where did we see a charcoal fire before, right? Like if, they, if, if I'm Peter... And I just got to shore, and there's a charcoal fire. And in the other two scenes I was just in where I failed, there was a charcoal fire. And this is like, this is way back then where I just didn't take a Zippo to wood, you know? It was a charcoal fire. This is a specific fire. And so if I'm Peter, I get up on land. I'm like, Jesus is here. Uh, There's a fire. And then the images start coming up. I'm not with him. I'm not with him. I'm not with him. Right? That's the first thing that happens when he gets to shore. Fish laid out on, on it and bread, and Jesus says to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, and the net was not torn, and Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Um, none of them asked who are you, because they all knew. Right? And Jesus takes bread and gives it to them, and so would the fish. And this is the third time he's appeared. So Again, put yourself in Peter's shoes, right? Fire, charcoal, denials, shooting off. And Jesus says what? Ah, Peter, the denier, welcome. No, he says, come, sit, let me cook for you. This is our God. Amen. Um, Come and eat breakfast with me. So how many of y'all have a grandma that likes to cook? Okay, a couple. There were like three in the first gathering. I was like, really? Um... So there's like six here. Fantastic. Well, I have a grandma, and she likes to cook. Uh, I come from like a southern North Carolina family. Go Tar Heels. Um, come from a North Carolina family. My grandma is, is a small package of just powerful word. She, she's the one who led me to Christ as a seven-year-old, so that paints a picture right there. And then she, she kind of led our family to Christ when I was a kid, right? We were not, and she led us to the church. Um, but, but she can also cook, I'll tell you all. Uh, she's like frying fish, frying, she's the kind of grandma that when I was like 10 and 11, we'd wake up in July and there would be Thanksgiving dinner for lunch, you know, like turkey, uh, mashed potatoes, stuffing, all that. Um, So imagine, like think about that kind of grandma. And then I want to tell another story. Um, The guy who's coming to do the evangelism training, Jeremiah Morris, uh, he's fantastic. He's a church planner in Houston um, he's planning a church in the next couple of years or, or months, I think, now at this point. But he tells this story of, of being at a restaurant. This is a little teaser for the evangelism training, right? So if you're uncommitted yet, maybe you'll hear this story and be like, oh, I kind of want to hear more stories like that. Um, but he tells this story of being at a new Italian restaurant in Houston. And uh, it's, it's good. Like, the food is really good. And the owner uh, is coming out and talking to people because it's like one of the first nights it's been open, right? So the owner is talking to people. He gets to Jeremiah's table and he says, um, they start talking about the food and the atmosphere, and the, and the owner says, "I just want the food to be like grandma's cooking." And Jeremiah's like, "All right, that's interesting." So they, they talk a little more about the ambiance of the restaurant, the way it's laid out. And he's like, "I want you to feel like you've walked into grandma's kitchen." And Jeremiah's like, "Second time, all right, Italian." Uh, and then a third time it comes up, right? Like, "I want this food you just to be taken back to grandma's cooking." And Jeremiah finally stops and says, "Who's your grandma?" What's what's the deal with the grandma thing? Um, and he tells this story. He says, when I, or he says, when when he was a, a young kid, probably two or three, his parents left him, right? His parents moved away, and he was raised by his grandma. He was the only one around to raise him. And uh, he said, I, I was a good kid, all my all growing up for grandma. I loved her. It was a great kid. And then when he's about fifteen or sixteen, that that depression that sadness, that anger, that frustration about his parents just continually mounts up. And one night, he wants to numb it, right? So he goes, goes out and goes wild, goes on a bender, drinks, smokes, drugs, uh, left at like 6 p.m., out all night. Grandma doesn't know where he is, right? He's just gone all night. And he kind of sobers up and gets home somehow. And uh, at, at about 5 a.m., uh, he's creeping through the back door through Grandma's kitchen, right, trying to get in without Grandma noticing. Jacket stinks, red eyes from crying. Um, and who's there but Grandma? And she, she opens her arms wide and gives him a hug and says, sit down, let me cook you something. Grandma's cooking, right? It's the, it's the impetus for a whole restaurant. Um, yeah, so that, that's my Grandma. That's not my actual grandma, but that, that's like my grandma. Um, and, and if it's not yours, like, that's okay, but it doesn't matter where our grandkid, the grandkids are in our faith, right? I got a lot of cousins. We could be doubting. We could be in trouble. We could have hurt our parents. Could have hurt my siblings, all people she loves, right? It doesn't matter. Breakfast is there. Sit down, let me cook you something. And so here's Peter, right? Just got the shore charcoal, fire, denial, denial, denial. And Jesus says, sit down, let me cook you something. Whew. And so looking through the Gospels, we see the power of a meal time and time again, right? Jesus' main method of ministry is the meal. Um, he shares meals with prostitutes, with tax collectors. He, he is the meal uh, minister, that's what he does, and and my wife Mike and I have been so convicted of this this year that um that we've started to do it and been amazed by the result. Right, so easy, cook people a meal, and then we've seen um just relationships built that are stronger than just friends that see each other once a week. Right, um, it's been amazing, and it's not hard. And some of y'all do this because we've been in your homes and been served a meal. Uh, there's something special and miraculous that happens when we invite someone in to the, to the mess, to the intimacy of a home, right? It doesn't, single guy, in apartment, family, six kids, doesn't matter. The scripture gives us an example of how to be the church that includes this. In Acts 2 verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day by day those who are being saved. It's not taxing, right? It's, it's not complicated. Have a meal with one another. Um, in America, that, that concept's gone. Uh, but I, I, I want to challenge us to be that people. Um, that's why we do it in the neighborhood parish. We will always have a meal there in the gathering Meals are central to Jesus' mission, and food is central to God's mission. There's a pastor in St. Louis, um, Darren Patrick, who has an incredible sermon on food, and I encourage you to check it out, um, and I'll send it to you if you want. But he preaches on food, and it's so good that I couldn't I couldn't paraphrase it. Like, I had to just take it. <laughs> so if, imagine, if you will, like the next section's in quotes, right, and just align Darren Patrick, and you can go look it up and see the, the context of it. But it's so good, he, he says, food is central to God's mission from the beginning. Look in Genesis 2 9. And out of the ground the Lord made, spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So, God loves salad, God loves kale, God loves Brussels, God loves apples, He loves pineapple, He loves all that stuff. But luckily for me, Genesis 9. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. God loves steak. Y'all been to Burger Joint on Montrose? God loves burgers. Hallelujah. I I know half this room's been to wing night at the Phoenix. God loves wings. Um, Not 18 wings like I do. He likes 12 wings. Like, don't. You'll pay for that later, trust me. Uh, Stick to 12. But God loves meat. It's in the Bible. We can't, we can't make the Bible say what it doesn't say, right? And I get that there's, there's food allergies and gluten intolerance and all this stuff, but that's the fall. We don't get that in glory, right? We don't, like, the mar- if the marriage supper of the Lamb for me is just rice, like, I'm going to be a little angry. Probably not because I'll be in the presence of God, but y'all know <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, enjoy food, right? Don't do it alone. Food is central to, to mission and worship. Talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9 says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Heaven is food and community and relationship. It's God's mission and God's heart. Jesus, as the human, right, fully human, fully God, he he calls himself the bread of life. Turns water into wine, feeds 5,000, has the last supper. And then here in 21, his vehicle for grace to Peter is bread and fish, a breakfast. Food is important to God, and, and we know it's important um, because it's used to defy him, right? Think of the fall. What leads to the fall? The apple. It's a good thing. An apple is good, but it's used to defy him. And, and what was meat, every food, what was used to bring encouragement and mission and community, now, now what does it do? shame, hurt. Ask the millions of women and men who struggle with an eating disorder what food does for them. It's, it's a shame. What is good is, is corrupt. Ask the millions of men and women who have workout idolatry, right? Counting ca- calories left and right. And, and what they're doing is making their body a temple to be worshipped. That they want to worship and they really want others to worship. Right? And then look at Obesity leading to heart disease and, and diabetes and blood pressure, all that. Satan's going to attack food because it denigrates God's glory and destroys his mission. And he's done a good job of it. But we have a chance to restore the meal through Christ who's restored it for us. He says, I'm going to change how you view the essentials of life. Bread, water, wine. I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. Right, And not, not only that... He, he ministers through meals. He redeems it for us. Don't let what is corrupted be used for shame. Enjoy food. Don't overdo it. In, in any direction, right? Not enough, too much, for a specific temple. We, we have an opportunity here to redeem meals with our neighbors and our coworkers and our brothers and sisters in Christ and our unbelieving friends. Um, this meal with Peter is a vehicle of grace and it's an example of how we're supposed to relate to one another. It's grandma saying, sit down, let me cook you something. And if we responded with that response when we were wronged with brothers and sisters, the church would blow up. And, and by number, I don't mean. Yeah. Lord, let that be so. That, that our, our, our response is, let me cook you something. Sit down. All right, let's finish up. I could talk about food all day. Let's finish up uh, the last section by reading about Jesus and Peter now, like what Clayton read, that interaction. Uh, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says again, feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said it to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you want. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go talking about Peter's future martyrdom on a cross upside down. After saying this, he says to Peter, follow me. This is Peter's rehabilitation, right? It's commonly known as that. The same number of times Peter denies Christ a couple days earlier is the same number of times Jesus affirms Peter's love for him. Right there in the beginning, he he goes back to calling Peter his old name too. He doesn't say Peter. He says Simon, son of John. That's like when your mom would say, for me, Warren Reed Squires. And like half of y'all are like, I didn't know your name was Warren. Uh, Warren Reed Squires, what have you done, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus in grace, after feeding him, simply asks him, do you love me more than these, than, than everything? Um, do you love me? This is Jesus' restoration of Peter, Right? How could he, how could the guy who a couple days earlier who denied Jesus three times, right? And we don't know what would have happened to Peter if he said, like, yeah, I'm with Jesus. What are you going to do? Like, we don't know. We don't have that account. That's not what happened. Um, so we don't know what would have happened. But how can the guy faced with that who denied Jesus three times be, be the rock again, the foundation of the church for Jesus? How does that happen? Aside from Christ, right? It wouldn't. Um, but Jesus through the grace of a meal, through the grace of these questions which aren't harsh, do you love me? I need to know. Okay, do you love me? But, but do you love me? Follow me. Feed my people and follow me. So this reminds us, those of us in leadership, uh, this reminds us of, of our course of action, right? And beyond those of us in leadership as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our course of action. Action flows from his love and grace, right? So Jesus extends the meal, comes, let me cook you something, right? The love, the grace, and then we get to the, we respond to his love and then we act after that. Then we get to be part of the feeding. It's a call for us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, feed each other like you've been fed by Jesus before. Um, and that's not literal, like, meal feeding, right? This is spiritual feeding. This is pointing, brothers and sisters, to truth, to the word, right, to prayer. Um, and, and by the way, those things happen really well over a meal, right? The two aren't really divorced. Jesus did it uh, over a meal, so why shouldn't we? This is the type of feeding that we get to do for each other. We're, we're all lambs and sheep under the good shepherd, all of us. Um, and this is, what, this is the opportunity we get as members here, right? So members, I'm talking to y'all. When we covenant with each other, uh, this isn't a legal document, right? It, it's an opportunity to promise to brothers and sisters that regardless of what happens, I'm here. And, and when I'm full, I pour out to you. I, I point you to the word. I pray for you. I meet with you. But when I'm empty, we both signed, I need you. That's, this is what members do here. This is what brothers and sisters in membership do at Sojourn. And this is our context. But if you're a believer and a guest, we want you to have that somewhere. It doesn't have to be here. But it needs to be somewhere. A promise that when you when it grates and it does, that we don't just walk. We don't just walk. And that doesn't mean that, that members don't leave here. No, sheep, sheep get lost or sheep go to other pastors. We were talking before the first gathering, we have so many med students that don't really have a, a, a voice in where they go in the world, right? They're like, oh, I got residency in like Anchorage. I guess I'm going to Alaska. Um, but but we, we pray with them through the process. We make sure they find a pastor there, right? And then there's other sheep that, that go astray, right? And that's when, that's when we as brothers and sisters and pastors and, and deacons and, and parish leaders will chase after the sheep. Knowing that some we won't be able to capture, but, but we chase them. Because if we believe what we believe about this, right, then, then that's the most loving thing we can do. And we mourn when that happens. But, but by and large, the membership, pro- the promise we make to brothers and sisters is that, is that we love one another through those circumstances. And by and large, it's kept. I've seen it kept here beautifully. Um, and we get to love each other through the imperfection that is this community and point each other to perfect community in Christ. Uh, this happens in the neighborhood parish, too. Most of y'all hopefully have been to one. We get an opportunity to feed each other at some point. We point each other to the gospel and to Christ when faced with our sin, our shame, our guilt. It's not in perfect community, though. Most of y'all hurt like, heard me talking about the marriage supper of the lamb and thinking that that wasn't my parish not the gathering i went to there were like six beers and a rotisserie chicken there like that wasn't the marriage supper right but in listen in the imperfection of community we get a chance to point towards towards a shadow of perfect community and glory perfect community in christ right So Jesus leaves Peter and by extension us with a simple command, follow me, follow him. So to the non-believer in the room, these words are for you. This was written that you might believe, right? This word, follow me, it's written for you. Are you ready to face the truth that as a human, this is universal, that we are confronted with our failures and our denials and we go back to old habits? That's, if that's not your story, like, come tell me, Right? But you, unbeliever, this is is your story. And the God of all things, creator, sustainer, Yahweh, I am, is literally saying, come, let me cook you something. Sit down. Face your denials, and then face the fact that I died to free you from them. Would you be bold enough to talk with us after the gathering, just in the gallery? Just come say, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. I don't know what it looks like to face that. I don't know what I believe yet, but I want to learn. Please do. And believer in the room, uh, the command stands, follow him. Follow him. Love him. Sit in his grace. Remind yourself of it daily through prayer and study of the word. And then let, in community, let others feed you spiritually If you want to learn more about connecting here, come to Vision Sunday. We'll talk about it. It's right after this, free lunch. Learn what it might look like to make a promise to brothers and sisters that when the going gets tough, you don't get going. And that when you're full, you pour out, and when you're empty, you'll allow yourself to be poured into. We get to link arms in community and walk towards the wedding feast together, and at that feast, we don't talk about shame. We don't talk about dieting. We don't talk about gluten-free. We don't talk about squats, right? We don't talk about bitterness or anger or frustration or doubt or denial. We get to sit. Listen, we get to sit in the presence of God, and we get to be with one another, and we get to eat good food, and we get to sing holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I want to be there. Hallelujah. Pray with me. (sighs) Father God, thank you that Jesus enters into our old habits, our shame, our doubt, our frustration. Thank you that you've sent your son to enter into those things physically with a meal and come cook us something. Lord, may it be true of the believer in this room that they get to let that wash over them, that the God of the universe has come bearing food and life through it. Lord, when asked that question, Do you love me? May our answer be a resounding yes. Lord, build build your community here in such a way that that we link arm in arm through failure, through denial, through doubt. And we walk towards you. and, And you promise us that that's what you join numbers to, right? Lord, let it be so. Jesus, we praise you for your work on the cross. Thank you for the book of John. Remind us daily of your love for us and let our response be eternally holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And let sojourn be a place where when asked or when faced with doubt and denial, brothers and sisters get together and say, We love you because we love you, because we love you, because we love you. Father, you're good. We pray all this to you, Father, through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.